former Carolina Panther Michael Dean and former New England Patriot and Philadelphia Eagle Ellis Hobbs are revolutionizing the athlete and corporate concierge business. Founders of the dynamic company Privé Society, Michael and Ellis have seamlessly transitioned from NFL dreams to entrepreneurial success by leveraging strategic partnerships with international brands such as Aston Martin, Prevate Society has become the standard for athlete and business services. In this Thanksgiving special, I sit down with Michael and Ellis to talk about their NFL careers, planning for life after football, entrepreneurship, business, and how their athletic career shaped them as business owners today. Michael and Ellis are candid, revealing, and thoughtful as they tell two very different but fascinating stories. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and enjoy this holiday special from Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome. Coming to you from the Ritz-Carlton, downtown Atlanta. Michael Elkins here. Um, Gentlemen, Michael, Ellis, how are you guys doing tonight? Feeling lovely. Feeling very lovely. Feeling nice. Um, Saturday, my little league team, we uh, got to the championship today. That's Ellis Hobbs, by the way, everybody. Yeah, Ellis Hobbs the third. Yeah, my dad's still alive. Uh, my grandfather, unfortunately, not. But Ellis Hobbs the third. Ellis Hobbs the fourth. Got to the little league championship today. We'll be playing next Saturday. If you have an opportunity, get out there. Get out there. I don't know the time and date yet. Just stay tuned. That's flag football, right? Flag football, correct. Not tackle yet. Development. And what, what position does he play? Uh, everything. We play everything right now. I, I don't really hold titles or positions. I want you to play everything to learn the game. Michael, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Michael. Thank you for having me. This is Michael Dean. And um, same thing. I'm just definitely grateful for to be able to be on the show. And um, my son Michael had his championship last week, man. And we're definitely blessed to see the both kids, uh, you know, carrying on the tradition and, and looking good out there as well. Great. And so for everybody who uh, may have skipped the introduction that I just did, Ellis Hobbs played with the uh, New England Patriots 2005 through 2008, won an AFC championship in 2007, a big part of the undefeated regular season. Michael Dean played for the Carolina Panthers 2000. And uh, we're going to talk today about a lot of different topics, some sports, but a lot of business. Um, and I'm, I'm really thrilled to have both these gentlemen here We've got a lot of ground to cover, so um, I guess I'm going to get into it real quick. First of all, if each one of you could just give us a little bit about your backgrounds, um, either order, whoever wants to go first, your path to the National Football League, and then I think we'll get into sort of what you guys are doing after, because I think it's fascinating uh, what you're both doing. Sure. Um, so, yeah, my, my uh, career... This is Ellis, I, by the way, everyone. Yeah, Ellis Hall, <laughs> and, I, and I, I say my career because that's what it literally has been since the age of four. I think the biggest misconception about athletes is that all of a sudden you turn 21 20 years old and all of a sudden boom here's this you know glorious career of football tennis baseball whatever but literally at a young age um, the difference between say the normal kid and the, the sports kid or the the great kid is that they have the ability to really focus in at an early age and, and handle it as a professional or somewhat of a professional um, direction and so at the age of four um, have been playing football and sports just pretty much uh, my entire life outside of those three years and um, just really enjoyed sports grew up in Texas 
uh, Dallas is where I really kind of planted my flag. Um, not born there. I was born in New York, but know nothing about it. But um, <laughs> sports at the time was very, very, very key and very center uh, in uh, my life. Um, back then, there was no social media. There was nothing to really expose you, but the the culture and the city that was around you. And so even before people knew that Texas football existed, Texas football existed. And so playing not only football but all sports, um, my family, we grew a very competitive nature. My father, uh, Sergeant Major, two terms in Vietnam. E9, oh, wow. Yeah, two, uh, two terms, uh, E-9, um, branched the Army. And so we grew up with a very heavy military background but just discipline overall. Four of us, my brother and two sisters, and my mom as well. And so growing up, like I said, competitiveness was just in our nature. Um, went through the ranks like anybody else uh, from that era, from that age group, um, really from that background. Pop Warner, um, basketball, baseball, you name it. And then grew up into high school and really started to focus in on things that were surrounding football. So track, uh, football itself, hand-eye coordination, baseball. But it really was an all-around athlete. Um, academia was uh, was second to none. We, we believed in um, doing everything the right way. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it 100%. And so out of 423, I actually graduated 23 in my class. Really? Yeah. And, Congratulations. Uh, yeah, I thank, did not know that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I actually was the uh, Iowa State Academic Athlete of the Year in 2004. And so my thing always, and I teach my kids this, is like if you're going to do it, you got to do it with all you have. I don't care what it is. Hot dog eating contest, biology test, chemistry test, you give it all you got because what if? So many people uh, talk about the what if of, you know, what if I don't, but what if you do? Right. And so my that was always my thing. Uh, my mother and father uh, raised us that way, and so that's how I live life. And so, um, you know, having the opportunity and the afforded the opportunity to go to Iowa State, um, a couple of different um, schools, major schools, Texas A&M, Notre Dame's, um, Texas a little bit. But back then, like I said, social media wasn't – it didn't exist. And so – this is about what oh four right oh well oh uh, no, one okay yeah, two thousand yeah. and so you really went off of the, the the doorkeepers of you know your your head coach at high school or you know that that college um, scout that could really get you there and so I felt like Iowa State was my best opportunity to not only play but play within the greats of the Big Twelve and the guys that I played against in high school because I played and beat these guys in high school so that I can actually go here to a different school, come back on TV, whatever, in the Big 12, and I can show guys that I can play just as well as anybody. So right. those things worked out, uh, went through Iowa State, ended up um, uh, transitioning from uh, running back to defensive back. I had never played defensive back uh, seriously up until uh, college. Really? They transferred me over to uh, uh, cornerback in uh, that year of my freshman year in two-a-day saying that we needed some athletes there were some guys hurt. I was like, listen, guys, so you know this, I have never played this position. They were like, listen, <laughs> they were like, it doesn't matter, you're an athlete, just go out there and do your thing. Well, first game of the year, I ended up having an interception and then the rest is history. Uh, so you were comfortable with the transition? I was comfortable with the transition because I was making plays. If, I, if it wasn't the fact that I could just go out there and be myself, I don't think I would have been as comfortable, but they okay. just let me do my thing, like, okay. even, in, even within the mistakes. And so um, – uh, had the, uh, the right coaches around me at the time. Uh, side note, there's a lot of great coaches that came from Iowa State. Jimmy Johnson, 
Right. Um, Seahawks coach. What's his name? I forget. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. A lot of guys that come from that era. You can look them up. I don't know all their names, but just sure. history and lineage. So I had some great ones around me that were able uh, to really culture me and, and push me through the ranks and afforded me, once again, another opportunity to be drafted into the NFL. And so 84th pick, uh, second pick, third round by the New England Patriots. Uh, went from there. Uh, during that time as well, while I was in the NFL, I was able to uh, get my degree, a Bachelor okay. of Arts in uh, Visual Communications, Graphic Designs. Uh, took a while because uh, if anybody that's went to design school, you understand that it's a long process because you're doing so much from a design standpoint. But um, went through, um, broke some records, held some records at, uh, from a franchise level and then uh, yep. in the Hall of Fame. Uh, with the Kick return. Kick return. Against the Jets. Correct. Yep. Yep. And cleats one. and the ball, I believe, are in the Hall of Fame. The uh, the only thing that's actually uh, I shouldn't be saying this. The only thing that's actually real is the cleats, uh, gloves, and the ball I have. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And yeah, what's yeah. the record? Just for not uh, our our audience is mixed between sports and just some one hundred and eight yards. And so right. if you if you if you look to the end of the uh, to the back of the end zone, the 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 white line is at, I believe a yard thick. So you actually can't go one ten. You can go one nine. I was one yard before one oh nine. That was 07, right? 07, yep. That, right. So that was the same year, 18-1 and 1, that we just discussed, 16-0 uh, and 0 undefeated. And, uh, yeah, had a very, very vibrant career. Um, unfortunately, at the end of it, I was traded to the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. That's not the unfortunate part. Sure. But I actually broke my neck uh, in 2009 and then again in 2010 uh, with a genetic um, – uh, history of passing down a spinal stenosis, which is the narrowing, oh, wow. yeah, narrowing of the uh, spinal canal. And so um, the usual spinal canal has a way more gap or space than what mine does. Right. And so it leaves me at higher risk of being injured from a neck perspective. Uh, my last play was actually I was paralyzed for about 20, 25 minutes. Really? From there, uh, I unfortunately had to retire. I actually tried to come back, but I couldn't pass the physical. Um. Well, I didn't know that about the paralyzed for twenty twenty five minutes, so I have to ask, um, what did that? What was going through your mind when that happened? It's interesting. It's, it's as crazy as it is. Uh, all I could think about was getting back on the field for one more play, because I think the the same craziness that that got me to that play was the same craziness that wanted me to get off the field and play one more play. And I think as an athlete, and athletes know this, uh, I, I wouldn't even say athlete. I think people that are driven. Um, know right. that you're so centrally focused on that one goal, that one task, that nothing else is a distraction. And I think the guys that are distracted or that um, get unfocused are the ones that don't really succeed, you know, to that level. Right. Not necessarily that you don't succeed. But um, all I could think about was just getting up and just one more play, one more play. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, man. And uh, so, Michael, let's get into a little bit of your background, and then we're going to talk about what you guys are doing today with Preve and, and um, some of the issues that we talked about mm-hmm. off podcast. <laughs> sure. So um, I'm actually born and raised from Key West, Florida, um, siblings um, of the youngest of the three. Um, I have an older, older brother and older sister. Um, I started playing sports when I was five and um, played football, baseball, and basketball throughout um, high school. Um, was blessed to get a football scholarship to the University of Illinois, um, majored in finance there, was all Big Ten um, as well my senior year, um, was, was undrafted to the Carolina Panthers in 2000, um, played, played through training camp in 2000 and got released and um, really started my 
uh, career from a professional perspective at that time, and which similar to Ellis, when you think back during the journey from starting from five and quote unquote retiring at twenty two, um, that's seventeen years of of, right. of sports. And my wife and I was having a conversation the other day to where you know our son MJ is six, and we're like, wow, he has at least twelve more years of practice every day, right? Right, and so do you. On the weekend, right? <laughs> so do yeah. you and your wife. <laughs> so does, and and that's just to get an opportunity to go to college. Right, right, and so you know when I think back through the question, I'm like, wow, I started at five, and you know, really at that point was thinking, man, I'm going to be an NFL athlete one day, right? And so you know, you did ask me, you know, in '82 of what you know, from 1982 to 2000, that was the answer. I'm I'm going to go to the league. You right, know what I mean, um, and now. Being 40 years old and looking back at my journey, you know, sports played an integral, huge piece in not only where I was then, but where I am now. Right. And so, um, you know, just definitely blessed to to be able to, you know, incorporate sports into my life and, and have the career that I was able to have. Now, you, you and I had this conversation probably about 30 minutes ago, and I think it's mm-hmm. interesting. You talked about sort of when your NFL career ended. Mm-hmm sort of no regrets, that you sort of had a smile on your face. Can you, t- can you talk to everybody about how that sort of came about? Because I think there's a misconception out there that if an NFL player's career ends short like that, you know, training camp and, and then they have to move on, mm-hmm. that that's usually this bittersweet, devastating moment. But that wasn't the case for you, right? No, not at all. It's funny because I kind of had a reverse paradigm. My career was kind of in a reverse paradigm perspective to where I had most of my success early. Right. right. So like Pop Warner, I was, you know, all state, all American in high school. And then I got to Illinois. And it's like as my career started to progress, I can actually start to see the end as well. And, you know, right. I never never had any injuries. Thank God, you know, never had any any situations where I had to make any career decisions. It was more so, you know, being having foresight and, and, and having a premonition to understand what's around me. Right. And right. so, you know, being from South Florida, you know, and having some of the best high school football ever played, you know, competing against those guys and then going to the Big Ten during the era of the time frame in which I played in as well, you know, big-time football. When I got to the NFL, you know, my first practice, it was clear to me that, you know, it was a whole other <laughs> level. And Can you talk like, about that a little bit? Sure. So, you know. Which my, I think is fascinating. My first practice, it looked like it seemed like Star Wars. Like, it just seemed like everything was moving very fast. <laughs> Everyone was moving it fast forward. Right. And, you know, it was, it was literally a mind, a, a mind opening, eye opening experience for me because it's like, wow, like this is what a prof- this is what the professional guys look like. Here's how they function. You know, I remember walking into the locker room. It was my first time really looking at guys, you know, it's alpha males throughout the locker room. You never really size the guy up. And before you say that, let's be clear, you played college. At University of Illinois, mm-hmm. in, in the Big Ten. Correct. Against guys like Charles Tom, Woodson, there you go. Tom, Tom Brady, Brady, Drew Brees, Ron Dane, who won the Heisman. Right. Um, and I can go down the litany of So you played of, real college football. 200%. And yes. you get into an NFL locker room, and your thought was? These guys are amazing. I mean, even back in high school, I played with the Peter Wargs and the Javon Curses and the Dante Culpeppers. You know, I mean, right. I can go down the list to Tequila Spikes, those guys. And, like, when I got to the league – they they were giants. They were right. they were they were like gods, right? And so I just remember my first practice getting done and I felt spent. I felt like I played in a full game. And back then it was three a days and I would literally feel as though I played three games to where after practice to get ready for the next day, 
I would have to go world whirlpool, cold tub, massages. And it's like, man, just to get through practice. But, you know. So it, was it then that you sort of had some foresight and was smart enough to say this might not be a long term thing? Yeah. And it was funny because, you know, I think back to it now to where, you know, most of the time when you're in that functionality of trying to make the team, you can't think about plan B. There's no plan B's. Right. Right. Um, but it's where I started to think about plan B during that process. And I was grateful. It was weird because I started to become reflective of my career at that time. To when I walked in the locker room, I remember walking in and out of the locker room and I would look back and I would be like, man, I'm in the league. But I also knew that I wasn't going to be a 10-year player. Right. You know what I mean? So, therefore, at that time, it was, it was kind of weird because I started to really forecast and say, okay, Michael, how do you monetize this situation? How do you – because my goal, my coach always told me to, to Michael, be a star and not a flashlight. And he was, I, was, I didn't, I didn't understand quote. what that meant. And he was like, listen, you've been blessed to be able to play football, but you have a multitude of other skill sets that you will use throughout your life. And just don't think of yourself as a football player. So when I got to the league, it was kind of like, okay, Michael, this is what he's talking about, to where your football career is about to end. So when I first got to the league, you know, when I first started playing football at five, I was 100% athlete and I was 0% other. When I got to Carolina, I was nine. I was almost ninety percent, eighty. I would say ninety percent other and ten percent football player at that time, right? right. And at the time, okay. I was in the best shape of my life. Twenty-two years old, sure. You know, working out, whatever. But just from a mental perspective, I understood where I was at. But I also understood the opportunity. And I'm like, man, I'm in the locker room with Reggie White. I'm in the locker room with Tim Biakopatuka. I'm in the locker room with Musim Muhammad and, and Steve Berline and Wesley Walls and those guys. And I'm like, man, you know, I, I'm amongst these guys. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a part of the fraternity, right? And so, so I started to try to figure out at that point, because I knew my career was going to be at the end. I'm like, okay, Michael, you still want to be around the league used to want to be of a certain accord as far accord as far as success is concerned, right? Sure. How do you do that? And you came you up know. with what game plan? And so it's funny. So you know, when I got released, um, Marty Herney and the guys called me in, and I had my agent on the phone, and that's when your NFL Europe was just developing, and they was like, "Listen, we like you. We need for you to develop a little bit more. You know, we'd like to, you know, still keep in contact, what have you, and we want you to go to NFL Europe." And one of the guys, Lamont Green, I always remember him. He was a linebacker out of um, Southridge. He was the defensive player of the year, USA Today, the year before I came out. And he went to Florida State, and he was all-world. We played him my junior year in college and, I mean, in high school, and he was amazing. So he goes to Florida State, has a decent career, but then he gets to Carolina. They send him to Europe. And during one of those sessions, during the summer, he comes back from Europe. And he's just beat up, you know, knees beat up, banged up. And so we start to talk, and he's like, listen, whatever you do, do not go to Europe. Because <laughs> I'm like, man, what's, like, you know, I'm like, you, you have to get ex- an exemption. Like, there's no way you're going to make the team. You all beat up. And he's like, man, I have two weeks before training camp, and I wow. have to get ready to compete to make the team. So that stuck with me. And he was all world. I mean, if you go back and Google Lamont Green, sure. he was unbelievable. Like, he was the Marvin Jones and the Derek Brookses of the world back then. So anyway – that stuck with me, and I was 185 pounds. I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna get through 16 games, let alone go to go to Orlando for a month for training camp, go to 10 games overseas with subpar facilities, 
and then come back over here two weeks later and then get back to training camp and try to make this team and then play four preseason games, 16 regular season games, then three or four playoff games to get to the Super Bowl, that's 30-some games. So you had a, a it sounds like, an amazing amount of self-awareness. 200%. I guess, which I think is interesting, and that's sort of how when we met what prompted our conversation and led us to this podcast because – I feel like with a lot of professional athletes, particularly ones that don't have long careers, there's this perception that there's a lack of self-awareness. In fact, it happens even for the really successful athletes that try to prolong their careers. Mm -hmm. You know, they play three or four years too long or they hang around. So what do you attribute that to, that self-awareness at that young of an age? Being scared of failure. I'm, you know, so I'm always evaluating the, the the deck to be like, man, can I win this? You know what I mean? And, and if I can't win, how do I pivot to go to, to a place where I can win? And so when I got to that locker room, I'm like, I can't, I know I can't win this. Right. The, the, the race is over. These boys are on a whole other level. And it was admiration. It was like, man, congratulations. You guys are, are just on a whole other level. That's why you guys are professionals. That's why you're getting paid the amount of money that you're you're getting paid because you are the one percent, and right. I knew at that time I wasn't. You know what I mean? So I felt comfortable with that. So you had a game plan, and I guess the self awareness probably translates to your business life now. So mm-hmm. tell us um, real quick what was your game plan, and then how you ended up in the business that you're in now, and we'll, then we'll get into how you, the both of you ended up as business partners. Yeah, and so basically, you know, I, I, I had that premonition to where, you know, I had the conversation. I declined the Europe invitation. Um, and I happily. Just, I, happily. That's my. Every I time think I tell the story, I laugh. Yeah, you're smiling right every now. Every time, it's weird. I've told this story a hundred times. You guys care if I go a little Instagram um, oh, no, story no worries. to show that you're smiling? Yeah, so no worries. Right so, you know, every time I tell this story, I, I you know, I ask the guy – I said, you know, if I lead Europe in yards, catches, and touchdowns, where would that get me? <laughs> and that's burning the league up, right? The yards, catches, and touchdowns, that's, a, that's the, 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 the triple crown. Did they laugh right? when you asked that question? Yeah, they're like, uh, yeah, you still probably about the sixth, seventh receiver. I'm like, I'm that now, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't so, need to go to Europe and for I, that. And mind you, mind you, I'm 185 pounds. They're asking me to play a full college season. Right. Because that's what it is. A month of training camp, which is college. Ten games, which is college, then two take two weeks off and then start to compete against these guys that I just left the locker room with. Sure, where I've trained for four months and I'm struggling to keep up with. I'm like, there is no way I'm going to make it, right? So I said, guys, thank y'all so much for your the opportunity. I said it's been it's been a it's been an amazing opportunity. I said I just want two things. I want my last trade camp check. I, <laughs> I think this is hilarious, by yeah, the way. You know, probably about 300, 400 bucks after taxes or whatever, maybe 600 bucks. I can't remember. Um, I, and can I have my helmet and my jersey? And I, and they looked at me like perplexed, like, okay. I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> and I walked out, right? And were they sort of shocked at the happiness? 200%. They thought I was insane. They thought I was d- delusional, I think. They're like, and the athletes go through that. It's like right. athletes die twice. They die when they retire and they die when they pass. So, and so they, I think they thought I was going through my, my delusional stage. So you had a game plan. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I want to really get into to Privé Society mm-hmm. and what you're doing now. Yep. Um, you went ahead and, and got certified as a financial advisor, mm-hmm. right? And tell me about – well, let's talk about what Privé is of course. and how it came to be and then how you – Ellis came part of it and sort of that journey. So, you know, when I, re- quote, unquote, retired, got cut or what have you, um, I moved back to Atlanta. 
um, became a financial planner. And my biggest thing was my dad used to always show me guys in the newspaper when we would go to the Dolphin games of guys going broke. And that was the biggest thing. Guys were spending their time in the league, and this person's broke, that person's broke. And I would hear it so much when I got to college. That's why I majored in finance. I'm like, I'm not going to be the guy that goes broke. I'm like, I just heard too many stories sure. of guys going broke. When my counselor asked me, what major did you want to major in? I'm like, I want to major in finance. And she's like, why? I'm like, because I'm going to be the one that knows, you know, how, how to manage my money. And so that was the main reason. My brother's an accountant. My sister's an accountant. My mom is in finance. But that was the major reason why I majored in finance and then, you know, became a certified planner, financial planner. It was more so because of the fact that I wanted to be the guy. I knew I could bridge the gap. I knew I, I was a, a player. I knew how they thought. I knew how they functioned. I knew the spending Common habits, grounds. Like common grounds. But then also I knew the financial side of things, right? And so when I would get around my guys, you know, I'm still of age with them. I'm 23 years old, right? My clients is my 22, 23 years old, 25. So like, And I would literally talk to them and give them advice as if I would do it. And so you developed a, a client financial planning client base mm-hmm. at, right after – Right after the league. Yeah, I went right back to Carolina. And I got to say, <laughs> I told him, I said, guys, I'm going to go get my licenses and I'm going to come back and, you know, I'm going to have a meeting. I'm going to work and I'll start out for free because I know I just left the locker room and I'm going to earn your trust. And, you know, eventually, because they knew I gave advice from the heart. It, well, I wasn't selling them anything. Right. I, I, I literally took the time to get to know them, get to know their families. And when they would see me around, it was more so because of the fact that, you know, I cared and, I, I really wanted to, you know, help enrich their lives, you know, mostly off the field. So tell us about Preve. What is it? How did it come to be? What are so you guys doing? The, so, you know, circa 2008, 2009, um, the market started, you know, obviously crashing. But then also I felt it difficult for myself to build my continue to build my book of business because, you know, when you're dealing with a professional athlete outside of the estate planning and the financial advising portion of it, you deal with their lives. Right. So sure. like, you helping them move, you helping them, their families, you know, when, when their families come into town and they're at the, they're at the hotel, their families want to go to dinner. Their families got to get a hotel. They got to get to the game. They got to get tickets. You know, there's a lot of moving parts to a professional athlete's life. You know what I mean? They get released. They get cut. They, they get traded. They have to get their stuff shipped. They got to find school. It's so almost anyway, like constant chaos. I feel like, well, it's, it's, it's chaos if it's not structured. Right. So when you look at the agencies the sports agencies that's the pitch of most sports agencies that they take care of all of these things so the athletes able to focus on football so the pitch to every athlete from every agent is you worry about football we'll take care of everything else right that's the universal pitch right well newsflash everybody 99 percent of that time that don't that's not true that sounds like a recipe <laughs> for disaster yes and so just think of any other profession if someone came and told you that you probably would say you just handle what you handle and we'll go out and get others so you saw a marketplace need right for, for yeah because i was something. doing it so instead of me building my book of business i'm up at 2 a.m helping them get in the nightclub or helping them you know um book a flight or or help everything and so i'm like man they got to be a, someone out here to help to do this and when i looked it wasn't and so then you know i sold my book of business we went through a little beta testing phase and it was so funny during that beta testing phase to to you know talk about ellis and i coming together it, the super bowl was in dallas the steelers played the packers well let's back up one second so Preve is um high high-end concierge services business, right? Correct. So, so what exactly do you guys do? So it's a high-end lifestyle management and concierge services. So think 
multi-family office, but for luxury goods. So we're the one-stop shop solution for anything outside of contract negotiations. Right. So from real estate purchases to luxury purchases to philanthropic initiatives to marketing to anything you think of from, that handles all the other silos of an athlete's life, Freeway Society has vetted vendors that's able to. So you're a true that. entrepreneur in starting oh, yes, this business. Yes, we've been through the entrepreneur gauntlet in many times. And um, you have a lot of strategic part. I, I want to hear the story, obviously, of, of you and Ellis. Um, but you have a lot of strategic partnerships with Preve, right? Yeah. So, we're, you know, from a from a vendor standpoint, that was the goal because, you know, when we go back to talking through the athletes, you know, functionality of, of, of losing their wealth, that's a major piece of it is using unvetted vendors or providers. And so, you know, case in point, Ellis Hobbs gets drafted by the New England Patriots. He's from Dallas, Texas. He, he went to Iowa State. He goes to New England. Correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't know anybody in New England. No, I didn't even know where New England was. I actually thought that was, was an area. I mean, I, I'm not not an area, but I actually thought that was a, a specific location. I didn't realize New England was a collective union of just states and just uh, from a demographic standpoint. But yeah, New England. Um, when they told me I was flying into uh, Rhode Island, Providence, yeah, which Providence, was really Rhode Warwick, Island. by the way. Yeah, Warwick. I was like, <laughs> why the hell would I be flying into Long Island, New York? Uh, you know, like I said, just kind of out of sight, out of mind, just ignorance, just ignorance. But yeah, but you knew it was the New England Patriots. That yeah, you I knew, knew right? I knew it was the New England Patriots. And, and the, the little that I did know, I just remember one play of Teddy Bruschi just sliding in the snow on his knees after an interception, but didn't really have a clue or really interested. I'm from Texas, like wasn't really interested in like the New England sport. It was so no Celtics. Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, didn't that did not cross clue, your mind. Did not cross my mind until draft day. Was it Bill that called you? Uh, no, it was actually his right hand man. Uh, I can't remember Nick his name. Casario. Uh, no, no, not uh, Casario was actually a scout when right. I was there. He actually um, he actually helped me or, or um, worked me out at Iowa State. Okay. And at that time, uh, he was like, "Yeah, you know, you got Pac Man, Adam Jones in front of you." few other guys, uh, my, uh, my guy that went to Auburn, um, uh, I can't remember his name. Carlos Rogers. Carlos Rogers, those guys. And so I just plainly stated, you know, well, I'm better than them. You know, I just don't have the opportunity to be in the SEC. And so he kind of chuckled and said, well, well, we'll let you know. And then sure enough, uh, Bill's right-hand man at the time. Uh, Ernie Adams, maybe? Uh, is it Burge? No, Ernie, Ernie, Ernie is the weird guy that just sits in the corner. Like, corner <laughs> the mad scientist? Yeah, he's just the mad scientist. <laughs> Ernie never talks. Never, you, don't, you don't want him to talk either. He's a weird character. But good guy. But, uh, but yeah, Bears. His name is Bears. Uh, okay. I can't remember his name, uh, first name, but Bears. But anyways, Bears calls me first, and then Bill gets on the phone, his boring tone, and it was legit. And like, sure enough, right out, back then, you know, obviously it was a first three-round Saturday. And so um, it's like 7 at night. He said, yeah, we're about to draft you. Sure enough, my name crumbs across the other uh, ticker, and boom, it's over. But, yeah, Bill now, in his boring way did it. Now, we, I, I want to talk a lot about Preve, and we're going we're gonna to dive deep into the Patriots a little later. But since you brought up Bill's boring tone, I have to ask. Sure. That's, a, that's like a thing? Because people say behind the scenes he's different. So, and I don't want to go too deep yet, but since it came up, is, this, is he – was he, it really that – was it just – was it just – yeah, hey, I mean, Ellis, of, course, draft of course, when he gets on the podium. Yeah, of course, when he gets on the podium, you know, he keeps that tone. And the reason why he keeps that tone because he's trying to set a tone. 
He's trying to set a standard of never too high, never too low. Right. And so, you know, when you talk about um, powerful, powerful books like 48 Laws of Power, or you're just talking about, you know, great historians or great people in life, the one key thing that is synonymous with all of them is that their, their, their ability uh, to stay emotionless. You know, as far as like, you know, it's not a plus, it's not a minus, it's another part of the journey. And so as you continually on with that success and you continually build success, you have to understand that your inability to be emotional is very key to your success. And that's probably served you well in business, I take it. Continually is serving because, you know, when you go through those trials and errors, not to say that there's not disappointment, there's not failure, but to allow your emotions to get wrapped up in it, you know, into one part of it is not really uh, appreciating the whole story. And so if you think about athletes, and as we continue on in this talk, you've had plenty of success and failure within your life, probably more failures than success. But the successes have been that much sweeter because of the failures. You know, I've heard where failure only leads – failure is the ability to, to get one failure out of the way to get closer to success. Right. And so as you continue on, you know, that's not just with sports. That's with anything in life. And so I've always tried to reason with myself as like, you know what – as I continually fail, that's only bringing me that much closer to the goal I'm trying to obtain. Right. And a bill sure. operates that way. Interesting. So, Michael, I guess you hatched the idea for Preve? It kind of hatched itself. I mean, honestly, it was out of need. It was just a situation where I knew with, with the collection of guys that I was in communication with that it was in, they were being failed. And, you know, for just seeing the services that they were currently getting. And for myself personally – you know, I would vet all of the vendors that I would use for my guys, right? Because I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to lose a relationship or a client over a referral that I sent someone to. So everyone that I, in my personal life, I vetted before. So if, if I knew Ellis at that time, and Ellis was like, hey, Mike, MD, who sold you your car? I, it was somebody that I used, I vetted, I made sure that, that he was going to get taken care of. So it was kind of, it, it kind of evolved from itself, but then mostly due to the fact that I knew it was a need out there, and, and, and also um, I was living the personal privé life myself, you right. know what I mean? And, and so I was like, well, shoot, I'm a guy that played four months in the league, and I was able to monetize the skill and, and not get taken advantage of. Then obviously, you know, there's, there's some type of functionality out there to, to make it into a business. And so we went into the beta test stage to, to see if it was such to where, you know, once we – got everything in order, meaning the CRM system and the vendors and um, the different um, touch points of communication with the different requests and so on and so forth. So built the, the nuances of the business, we was ready to launch. Did you start with, and, and this always fascinates me from an entrepreneurship standpoint, businesses form so many different ways. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been an entrepreneur myself in, in various stages. I'm you know just dabbling in some tech investing now and did you start with seed funding, or was it friends and family, or was oh, it, nah, it your was, own pocket? It yeah, it was, was bootstrap. Yeah, grassroots. <laughs> and it's so funny that you asked that because we'll get into the different nuances and layers um, of that point as well. But yeah, it was literally a sold my book of business and and you know bootstrapped it and, and had a one sheeter and a mind map and. And so you didn't you didn't go through like a round of seed funding and then a series A and a series B and a series no, C funding. No, it no. was I'm going to put my capital in and let's go. Yeah, because at the time it was a it was not a known 
it's not like a, a a popular industry. The service industry is not something that you can you know can put a valuation on. You don't own any assets, right? So it's not a, a really true fundable. Same as the law practice. Same as law. Yeah, yeah, it's a very you know it's a tough it's a tough sell when you're going through that that particular functionality, so especially you, at that stage. Did you two start the business together? That's the one thing I couldn't decipher so when I was, I was researching. Okay. So we're still in beta test stage, right? So I'm only, like I said, I yeah, play. I don't exist. I don't exist. Oh, yeah, that was so the question, Ellis, yeah. is When you yeah, say so we're Ellis still in beta still, test, there's no Ellis. Ellis is still <laughs> Philadelphia Eagle. Okay. Right? And that's why I'm going to get to the story. Okay, so, sorry. <laughs> you know, I sell my book of business, and we're beta test staging, you know what I mean, with myself and, and, and you know, colleagues of mine or what have you. And then we're, we think we're ready to go live, right? So we're like, you know what? We're going to do a gifting suite in Dallas. It's the Super Bowl. All the collection of athletes are going to be there. We can launch, you know, the company at that, you know, at, at that particular point. And so we partnered with a, a marketing firm, and we rented out a hotel, and we got all these different vendors to give us free gifts, and we invited professional athletes to the hotel. And then, you know, we created a – a lounge area as well so the guys can, you know, enjoy themselves or what have you. So it's like Tuesday leading up into Super Bowl week, and I'm here in Buckhead at, at, at my office, and I'm, you know, going This is the to, one in Dallas? Super Bowl in Dallas? Yes, Super okay. Bowl in Dallas. So then I get a call, and my assistant answers the phone, and she's like, hey, Michael, I have an Ellis Hobbs on the phone. <laughs> and my first – I'm a wide receiver by trade, right? And so even when I watch the games now, I study – I know all of our receivers. That's what he said, defensive backs. I study all defensive backs just because that's what I've been trained to do. So I knew Ellis. I knew everything about him. And, I, you know, I, I knew who he was. But I didn't believe it was him on the phone. I'm like, there is no way Ellis Hobbs is calling me. Yeah, I read when I was researching for this, I read an interview with Ellis where you said Michael put you through a series of questions yeah, to make you prove to make you know, prove so, that. Yeah. Am, I, am I remembering that right? No, no, you're right. <laughs> okay. At the time when, when it actually happened, I was just answering the questions in a very innocent, normal standpoint. Like, yeah, you know, because it's my life. Right. And so as he's asking me these questions, I'm not literally looking at it as an interrogation. I'm looking at it as, yeah, yeah, I did that. Yep, yeah, that's me. And then actually I expanded on some of the quest- uh, the questions that he asked me. And so – What were un- some of the questions, if you can? if you, uh, can. Yeah, I, I mean, no, what I, mean the- I remember. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I remember. a couple of the teammates that he played with was my clients were friends. So I would say their nicknames. Okay. And he, by me saying their nicknames, he would know who it was, right? So somebody that didn't play with them, didn't, if they would know their names. So if I would have said, you know, Greg Lewis, everyone knows Greg Lewis. That, yeah, but when I would say G. Lou Foots, and I started to talk through his functionalities, he would expand on it. So I'm like, man, you know what? It is Ellis, you know what I mean? And that okay. we just talk through different things, you know, Iowa State, just different, just conversations, but it was just, it was just a flow. It wasn't like an interrogation. It was, a, it was a natural flow, right? Like, hey, man, you from Dallas? I was Dallas, you know. So then once I figured out it was him, I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, this is Ellis Hobbs. Like, literally, like, I, I was really impressed. It was him on the phone. And I was like, so what's up? He's like, he's like, listen, you know, I just fired my agent. And he said, I just Googled you guys. And I Googled Super Bowl parties. And you guys' name came up. And I, I, I'm from Dallas. Um, and I, I want to attend some of the Super Bowl events, but I just fired my agent, and I wanted to see what you guys had available. So, mind you, we're in beta test stage. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm like, man, we actually jackpot, have a, jackpot, <laughs> right? Like, man, we actually have a, a, a player of a certain accord that's sure. calling us last minute, right? 
and wants us to get stuff done for him. So we literally set him up, you know, with with all of his accommodations and, you know, um, allowed, you know, him to use our services or what have you. And then, unfortunately, it was a snowstorm in Dallas that we did. That's right. I forgot about that. We actually did not meet there. So we was texting or whatever it was back then, you know, communicating, but we never met. Right, I was just checking on. Hey, man, how's everything going? You know, is the car service good? Yeah, man, everything's cool. So we actually never met. So then that Monday, when I got back to Atlanta, I called him, and just to check in. Hey, man, because mind you, once again, we're in beta test stage. So I'm like, man, you know, I want to make sure this works. So he answers the phone. You know, we talk through everything. So he's like, what? What do you? What do you guys do? And I told him the same thing. I'm like, listen, you know, we built this company to, you know, to to help athletes off the field. You know, it's a plethora of different things. Obviously, you just experienced a portion of it. And he's like, really? He says, okay. He says, well, he says, where are you guys located? I said, we're here in Atlanta. He says, well, man, my wife and I actually just flew. We just landed in Atlanta. We just bought a house here. So mind you, once again, I'm in beta test stage. I'm like, oh, this is great because we have a real estate division and you know we can help with that piece you know whatever you guys need well obviously at that time they already had everything situated you know what i mean he was like but i actually um have something for you guys i actually just um you know invested in this film that i'm looking to get be a part of and i'm looking for a um um what is it called movie attorney whatever entertainment lawyer entertainment lawyer right so I'm like, oh, great. Once again, it's another part of what we do, right? So I was like, cool. I was like, listen, man, you know, I'll, I will bet, you know, we have about four of them. Will let me call them, you know what I mean, and make sure, you know, everything's who they are, who they say they are. And then I, I you know, introduced them to the lawyers. And, and the thing about that is, as you hear that story, it sounds long and drawn out and things. But what I was doing at the time uh, when, I, when I first called Michael or Google Michael and the company, that's the norm. Like, that was the norm for athletes. Still is the norm. You know, maybe really? not necessarily Googling, but just trying to find somebody that can help because your your typical athlete is doing it last minute on a desperation mode. You know, and that's so interesting. That's when the, the financial advisor, that's when the manager, that's when the agent has to jump in, and, it, and literally it's a, it's a Chinese fire drill. And whether they get that done successfully or not, depends on their job or that role within their within that circle of that athlete. If you can't get it done, you get excommunicated. You get fired or whatever. <laughs> not and a lot of second chances. Not a I lot guess. of second and that's why you see a lot of uh, a lot of guys, you know, uh, lily padding, you know, off agents or really kind of failing out or really agents putting guys to the back burner when they can't get things done. They just kind of flip the story like, oh that guy's a hassle or, you know, he's he's like babysitting all that. they no, the agent just couldn't get it done. And so granted, you know, um athletes live in a very primitive stage of getting because it's not realistic the things that we ask for what i asked him to do wasn't realistic you know, <laughs> well that's self-awareness though yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> so it's like now it is back then it's like all right get it done like yeah if you, Go. If you say if you are what you say you are get it done but i had just fired an agent that you know wouldn't operate under those types of parameters and so that i think that's the biggest misconception with with athletes from an outside perspective of you know well I couldn't believe. I can't believe they would do such and such. Well, when you're in that world, you know that is the normal to, to ask for to abnor- to ask for abnormal requests on a consistent basis in the most inconvenient moments. That that is the norm. And so when when guys do that, they feel very comfortable in doing it because they, it, it's done over and over again. You know, from some from from so many different vantage points. I think for the real world, that's just 
for those of us regular people, if we do that, it's just, well, you didn't ask fast enough, so no. And the athlete, though, can say, listen, I need this done, and, you know, I you carry a certain amount of leverage, right, yeah. when you're playing I'm professional me. sport. Yeah, yeah pretty I'm much. Me. And yeah, that's the reality yeah, of it. Yeah, when you, it, you know, it's, it's the same fan that is sitting there, uh, convict is a hard word. Uh, the same fan that is condemning, you know, that, that athlete for doing what he's doing is the same fan that would die to get in line to get that autograph. No question. That would I agree die to shake that hand. You know, you being from the New England area, you know how they treat their athletes up there. Oh, yeah. And so when you're constantly getting that sort of conditioning day in, day out, on a normal base, in a normal, normal world. And not just in your professional career, but if you're playing in the NFL or Major League Baseball, the NBA, you've been conditioned, like you both mentioned, from eight, nine, ten years old. I mean, you... You didn't suck in junior high school. I signed my first <laughs> autograph in third grade. Exactly. Right. My my teacher sent me to the office for signing an autograph in class. I actually signed another paper and gave it to her and said, I'll be back. Like, that was my mindset. <laughs> oh, I got it's in a great story. With my mom. Yeah, right. I got in trouble with my mom. It's a good story, though. But, like, the confidence, like, how do you, like, where do you get that type of confidence from? Right. From the, the surroundings around you. You're sure. the best. You're the best to pass on the back. And so it's, it's a double-edged sword. You know, where, where you talk about, you know, the, the gift and the curse of, you know, the acknowledgement, the glory, everything that you've been bred in to get you to where you are now turns its back on you. And yeah, it's the same thing that brings you down. Well, I was just going to say, you don't sound like that now. And you and I had a chance to meet, Ellis, before this. You know, we had the car ride over here and you had said... You know, I sat in the front seat and I said, you want me to get in the back? And you were pretty clear, like, no, no ego here. So yeah, it sounds like you there's been a growth or a change. Yeah, maturity as you get older. Because the, the one thing that we actually forget, you know, where um, my moment of, of NFL or just really that transition was at the age of 19. Um, I was walking into the design school. I was talking to my father on a, on a one-minute cell phone that I, I couldn't use. I could, the minutes were ridiculous back then. And my, uh, somehow, some way, the conversation came up that my mom had just got laid off. And so I had two options. I could go into the design school right now. I could draw some naked lady that was standing up in that classroom. Yeah, I get what? Get my rocks off or, you know, a visual for the night. Sure. Or I can turn around and go to the film room and get to this money, you know, and get to the success and, and, the, and the success that I knew that I could get to. And so when you talk about those things and that success and, and everything that I was that I felt that I was bred to do or that I had worked so hard for, the option was very clear. And so within the, the ego of that, you know, when, when you actually – it's one thing to say something, you know, and I don't care what industry it is, but to actually say it and do it. Well, it that's builds, the difference, it, right? It, it builds such a confidence in you, and it builds such a, you know, um, a podium to the next play. And when you do that over and over and over again, and, and people are actually witnessing this – it, it, it creates a, a ego and a life amongst itself. And so as I, as I continually grow, grew up and I was building this, the confidence there, but keep in mind, I'm only 19 years old. And so in my world, and I always used to say this, um, I'm the oldest of four, you know, myself, my brother, and two sisters. Um, I didn't have an older brother. My mom and dad pretty much let me do my thing. And, and I would say within the black community, when you see someone of, of my age at the time, and younger people, they're normally leading the family. This day and age when you don't have the fathers, they're absentee or whatever, they're normally leading the family. So they're really chartering waters that they've never 
been able to really take notes from. They're literally as, as there's no as, playbook. As the life goes, so goes the family, right? And, and so goes their life. And so that was kind of like me to where my parents were there, but they had so much confidence in me because of so much success that I had at a young age. They're like, we don't have to worry about Ellis. We have to worry about these other three. And so I didn't necessarily get the uh, the stern talkings to or whatever, and I wasn't doing anything crazy. But when those those really decisive moments came, I was figuring it out on my own, so much to the point where I actually felt embarrassed if I had to ask a question. I felt embarrassed or ashamed if I had to go to my parents. And so it was nothing that they did. It was just the world that was built around me. And so when you talk about the or the ego and things, the ego was absolutely there at a young age, you know, saying certain things to, to fans or individuals or whatever. And looking back on that, saying, man, that was so asinine. That was so disrespectful. And, you know, but thank God for the foundation that my parents gave me. Uh, but, yeah, just going from there and then now to where I am now being humbled in so many different, you know, successes and failures of, like, man, like, this could have went totally left. Or, man, that could have gone so, the other way. This is such a dumb – that was such a dumb decision, was such a dumb move. And there, there's a part of you as an individual to where you actually have to sit yourself down and, and, and say, you know what, um, like a scouting report, there's good and bad in this thing. Like, there's no way in the world I can just be 100% positive. And, and that, that – that that good and bad is my wife, you know, that other that mirror to where she fe- she allows me or forces me to without her knowing or knowing to look at and challenge me, you know, to where no one really ever challenged me to like, look, who are you as a person? Right. You know, and, and once I found that out, I was able to be a better friend of Michael, be a better businessman, be a better person to myself and, and take that 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 role and responsibility of saying, you know what? I don't necessarily need an ego in everything. I believe you need ego once you get into that world of competitiveness. Of course. But there's a balance. You have to have balance in every moderation. You have to have moderation in everything. How did you two end up as business partners from because you went you went from your you're helping Ellis and obviously Ellis you were going through a transition, I think, right mm-hmm. at that time. Yep, yep. Um so now your business partners, how did that happen? Yeah, and that's when, honestly, the company was born. I mean, when I, as I'm sitting here talking through the functionality, you know, we, we were a thought at that time. You know, yeah, we had, you know, minor transactions, whatever. But, you know, during, during when I met Ellis, that's when the company was born. Because okay. we had a, a real live, um, not, not only just from a client perspective, I told him, you know, having the premonition to understand that I played four months and I was dated. Ellis is six years younger than me. It was a situation where, you know, the company was built off of what I thought it as as it to be, right? But when I met him, he brought it full circle to 2010, 2011, to where now it's like, oh, no, we were off a little bit, you know, right? This is how, we how athletes was functioning in 2006, 2008, right? So then I would give him a scenario. He's like, oh, no, my MD, that was, that was back then. This is how we do it now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Then we'll go back and we would recalibrate. And we'll, we, so he, he actually had allowed us to move the company forward to present. We had a live present guy that not only because there's different silos in the locker room. You have the, the minimum guy that's making minimum money. Right. Right. Then you have the Tom Brady's of the world that's making maximum money. Right? Not a lot of those. Right. And then you have the, the, the silos. Right. And, and then so you got that middle tier of. Your yeah. And so team. with Ellis, you know, he not only was able to allow us to move the company forward, but then also understand all the different silos, but then have the business acumen behind it. And so to make a long story short, 
you know, we had the conversation. He moved here to Atlanta. We were able to secure an entertainment lawyer for him. He had a very successful um, transaction with, with, with the, the uh, film that he was, you know, executive producing with. And then, you know, we just had a meeting at, um, you know, a, a local restaurant here. And him and I just clicked. He, so this you know, was born out of you guys just were initially in a transaction together. Correct. And then got along. And yeah, said, 100%. Hey, maybe we could and do so something together. We would sit we just sat down, you know, it was it was, you know, myself, Ellis and his wife, and we just clicked. We just talked and we had the same goals and we had the same thought process and the same passion. And it's so funny because the film the last fall that he executive produced, the film really talked about the challenges that the that a professional athlete has off the field. So it was literally a vi- it was a movie of what we were trying to pr- protect against. So when I saw the pilot of the film, I said, wow, this he has the, the actual, he gets it, right? And so from there, it just continuously grew. We sat down, and I just told him the vision. Hey, man, here's what we're trying to do. At the end of the day, he- here's what we're trying to do. Here's the long-term goal of it. You know, and he was like, man, and what I respect about Ellis, you know, and we've talked about this before, was, you know, he processed everything. He took his time. You know, he, due diligence. He, due diligence. He did his own due diligence, and then you know he came back to the table and he's like, "Listen, if I'm going to be a part of this, I need this." Right. You know what I mean? And 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 from you guys that, hammered your deal out. Yeah. From that conversation, it was like, okay, cool. And then if if we give you this, I need this. Right. right. And it was more so like, listen, outside of the financial. You know, investment. It was him, his family, his life. Like we need his life because he he's he's the walking. Like Jay Z said, you know, in, in one of his raps, you know, the marketing plan was me. The marketing plan was him, right? The 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 the, the incubator was him, right? And so we would sit down in an office in Buckhead with a whiteboard for hours, and we would just talk through functionalities. Okay, you know, when you bought your car, you you know, you bought your first car. How did that work? And then what was the gaps? And he'd be like, yeah, man, my agent didn't call me back. Or this guy dropped the ball. He took my earnest money. Okay. So this was really true. I'm going to say disruption, right? This was disruption yeah, of yeah, how this- things used to be done. You, you, you found in this industry, look, it used to be this way. It's been done this way since whenever, the beginning of time and when there were agents. or And nothing had changed. And you guys said, we're going to change that. I mean the- – the, the one sole reason that I got involved with Michael and the company was because I believed in it because because I was going through it. I literally was going through it at the time. And so when you talk about, you know, concepts and, you know, dreams versus reality, I can't tell you how many business ideas have ran through a locker room. I'm sure you know, I, we hear sitting, stories. Yeah, when you're sitting around, you know, you know that five minute, ten minute break you get in between meetings, and the one consistent one that I would always hear about is like, man, we need to service ourselves, or we need to. What if we had like a at the time MySpace or something that was just us, you know, where we had a chat room and yo, you need this, or oh, I got that, you know, or I can, I can. And I'm you sure my there's car. trust there because it's no secret, athletes there there are predators. Yeah, that come course, after course, athletes. Course. I mean, that's like a very common, well-known thing. Yep. And and the one thing that was missing from all of that was, well, I say two things. You know, indecision. Indecision is the thief of opportunity. I truly believe that. When you just sit there and you just, we're not just, okay, we, we've said this millions of times, but what are we going to do? 
Like, well, how, yeah. How I are mean, we activating? I listen to a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you guys know yeah. Gary oh, Vee. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, Gary Vee's big testament, big, his big, of all the content he puts out, his biggest thing is get out there and do shit. Just do, do something. something. Do don't, something. Don't sit on the couch and yeah. talk about it. Create it. Like, we got to put it into the universe. And so at the time, obviously, I didn't know how to articulate that. But you would just consistently, constantly hear that. But you remembered. Yeah, and I remembered that. And I was just like, man, like, that's the one thing we never did. We never did it. And so, like, <laughs> and like um, when you're sitting there, and, and then the, beyond that, there was never a business format wrapped around it. And when I say business format, and I, and I, I break it down to the, to the most normal sense of, I, I get something from Michael, or I get something from, from Preve or the name of, at, the, at the time. I actually received the receipt. Something that could paper trail what I actually paid for. <laughs> Up until that point, it was cash on hand. Wow. And I'm not talking about you know, $10, $15. We're talking you. about hundreds of thousands of dollars that was, monetized, uh, that, was, that was passing through without a real transactional receipt. And so, which is important for tax purposes. Man, yeah, forget taxes. <laughs> forget tax purposes. That didn't even come into the conversation. Wow. Just the fact of I actually have something that I can link to. Right. You know, okay, that person runs away. Yeah, runs away. I can link to. So now we're talking about taxes. And that's a whole nother world. Right. That happens on a oh, daily yeah. basis now in the professional world. My normal journey on a plane trip to another city to play, guys have 20, 30, $40,000 in their pockets to gamble on the plane. Really? There are hundreds of thousands of trans- dollar transactions that are happening on the plane where the dice being rolled through the aisles, uh, card games that are being bro- uh, done with on broken, uh, broken uh, down seats within the middle of the aisle. This stuff happens on a regular basis. Why do you ask? The competitive nature, the ego, and just the lack and respect, the lack of respect for just money in itself. And you're talking wow. about guys that have enough to retire, to live off of the first of life, but they're doing these types of transactions in this world with no credit, no, no, no receipts, no paper trail, no nothing. So they're taking that mindset and bringing it back into the normal world of like, yeah, I trust you. I pay you. You're going to take care of me. Well, X, Y, and Z isn't trustworthy. They take the money. Right. There is no paper trail. Now you're stuck with your ego. So what do you do? You tuck it under the rug or you just continually spend until it fixes itself, which it normally doesn't. That's how it works. Fascinating. And so you guys, you, you cater to athletes, of course, and you have partnerships. I know you've got strategic partnerships with some, some pretty big companies. Aston Martin we've talked about, right? What, who are your, what's, what's one of your big yeah, ones, big right? One. Um, but it's you expanded. It's not just athletes now, right? Can we talk about the, the business expansion, which I think is visionary, right? I mean, it shows that you weren't you're not stuck with just athletes. Yeah. So it's funny. So you know, you circa 2010, we, we're going through our beta test stage. Ellis and I meet, and we're we're on this athlete kick, right? And so we're servicing you know different sports representatives and different leagues and what have you. And but then we would get into corporate settings with just corporate executives, and they would say, what do you guys do? And we would tell them, and they would be like, man, that's cool. How do we join? And at the time, we're like, well, it's only for athletes right now, you know, you know, and we just would move on to the conversation. So we would continue to fly around the country, and we would continuously get that question. And so we, so we sat down one day, and we're like, man, you know, it may make sense to open up 
the the door a little bit more from a open enrollment perspective to start to include corporate executives because they have the same needs, right? They have an executive assistant who may, you know, say yourself, Michael, you have an executive assistant, you travel all the time, your executive assistant is in Miami, you pay her, say, $60,000 a year, right? I'm too controlling to have an executive assistant, <laughs> but I get your point. Right. So say, you know, <laughs> My poor assistant's begging for work. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, you, you guys have an executive right. assistant. I get you, but I know. They, they, they know everyone in Miami, right? Sure. So if you want to go to dinner, they know Prime 112, they know Miles, they know, you know, Everywhere in Miami, wherever you want to get around to. So, but then you go to New York, they got a Google. They don't know everyone in New York. You go to LA, they don't know everyone in LA. They go to Chicago, right? And so for us, you know, and then circa, this is when we start to get into that next stage of funding, right? Okay, so, so you have gone through some investment. You've it's got time investor to scale, capital. Okay. Right? So we're like, you know what? It's time to scale. We start to go through the, the what we call the, the funding gauntlet of getting in front Fundraise. of private equity firms and venture capitalists and accredited investors and yep. we're starting well, I'm in we're, that we're not yeah. deep in it yet we're just dipping our toe in it and they're telling us during those meetings hey you guys need to expand your client base a because most athletes it's a churn cycle right? yeah there wouldn't be long-term clients generally. long-term so you're always gonna have to go back each year and get new clients. We're corporate executives like yourself. So much been in the long, business 15, much longer 20, career. Much longer career. I'm not yeah. going out on injury. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not going on IR. So, so it kind of happened congruently at the same time where we, we saw a, a need in the market. People were coming to us, right? Um, we've seen other businesses successfully make the transition to from a B2C to a B2B business. Sure. Right? So we were like, man, it makes perfect sense. And so then that's when we started to expand the the business to start to include corporate executives and corporations and that's when we really saw the hockey stick that's when we really because then we you know athletes buy what they want corporate executives buy what they need did it take off at that does that was that the jumping point where suddenly it wasn't i don't want to say small business but it it went from maybe a to d more consistent it got way it got way more consistent to where as an athlete you get that big purchase but like I said, it's it's a flash in the pan, to where like I said, it's very very comfortable to know you're in Q3 of 2016, but the budget for this corporation is already set, you know, for Q2 2017. Right. And so there's a lot of different things that you can do from a company standpoint of events, planning, just anything really within those clients or that corporation. But let me ask this: Do you are you doing, you know? corporate executive Joe wants to go to the national championship or I know you do that right but are you also assisting with like branding and event planning as well for these companies is it is yeah. it something more than just we'll get you to the cool events it's strategic branding and marketing right and so it's really honing in on a particular client base I mean target audience so it's not for everyone like case in point Aston Martin you know, to definitely where, not for everyone. Right, it's not for everyone. They they understand, and we know. Although, if you can get me one of those Tom Brady cars, well, right. I'd be I'd be appreciative. We, I can definitely make a phone call. <laughs> right, actually, sure. We can actually complete that transaction during the podcast. If you let me like, just give that credit card yeah, over. We'll be good to go. You know, they'll, they'll send yeah. over. But you guys connected Aston Martin to Tom. Is my part of the functionality? Of it? So it was the thought process of 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 going through. They they contacted us to, uh, to kind of see who would be a good ambassador of the brand from a football perspective and you know we sent over some names and he was one of them right absolutely and and so you know from there um that's the type of strategic planning that they you know 
we partner with so, them for is to say, hey, you know, how do we become – their biggest thing is awareness in the States, right? So they're big overseas, and they want to become, you know, more so of, you, a, of an awareness brand. You've actually turned what started as an athlete concierge business mm-hmm. really into high-end business consulting, right? Yeah, it's is that fair, and that's the, that's what we love about Purvey is it, it is really it, it's a it's a open canvas for who we're speaking to. So for some people, it, it's still that high end concierge twenty four seven. Absolutely, they need us. It's like an app on the iPhone. They contact us for everything, right? But but we've actually evolved and, and has, has grown to become literally whatever it is that that corporation or that entity needs at that time we have the resources the processes the products to be able to get it done in a very efficient and consistent manner and it's not it's not a creed or a model that we use i I personally use it myself it's for success i think in in this world when you're so successful on whatever whatever level that is you know you don't have time you know that's that's the one thing that you don't have you know you could you you evaluate and you give your time to your success that when you actually are ready to reap the benefits, you don't have the time. That's right. And so you actually need someone to think for you or beyond you to, to get these things done. And that's really where our niche is, to where it's like, listen, you know, because of what our background, the life we've been able to experience on a successful side, now that I'm no longer in that and I'm actually servicing the success, it makes it that much more comfortable for our clients. Because if I take an athlete and I put him in some of the front of the things that we do, they're going to be wild to some degree, but they're more impressed of that it actually got done in the time span that we talked about from earlier. With so you're building trust. Yeah, with corporate America, they don't see half the things, much less a quarter of the things that athletes do on a normal basis, you know, to where, you know, no one in the corporate America is getting a Ferrari on the top of the building with a champagne bottle sitting in the seat, you know. They, <laughs> well, they they're, probably want to. Yeah, but they want to <laughs> and don't even know that they want to. But when they sure. see it, they like, that's the feeling that I like. That's the right. feeling that I – they know it when they see it. Right. And so when you're able to deliver that to that world, it only increases your, your, your success rate that much more because, like, man, these guys get it. They can't speak it. They can't describe it. But when they see it, they know it. Now, you're, are you also providing to your athlete clients um, con- consultation and advice on, hey, maybe you don't need to buy four Bengal tigers. Hmm. Perhaps that's a bad idea. Is that part of what you're doing, or am I off, am I off base there? We tried. Okay, we, we okay so it's part, it's, it is, it's in the business plan. <laughs> we talk about that all the time, man, and salute to my brother here, man. Like, you know, it, it's uh, we talk about it all the time. It's the scalability of the athlete's career, right, not being a – flashlight being a star and so you know when, when we get in front of guys we, we 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 try to educate them one of the biggest things for us is to get preferred pricing right so we say listen you know instead of buying one ferrari for five hundred thousand or three hundred thousand you know we're trying to have you buy 10 ferraris you know what i mean not at the at that time but i'm talking about buy one when you were 21 then 31 then 41 then 51 then 61 how do we get there right to where you're not just always talking in the past Oh man, back when I when I played, I, I had a Ferrari. Like, because we, we see corporate executives, right? They, you know, we have members that own a plethora of Ferraris, ten, fifteen Ferraris, right? They're forty, fifty, sixty years old. And our thing with Ellis and I is like, man, you know what? How do we become them? We used to sit in front of people like that all the time, and we're like, man, this is amazing. He he hasn't put on a helmet. He doesn't get hit, right? 
and, and, you know, he's living the lifestyle that we want to live, and he's 50, 60 years old, right? And so, you know, when we get in front of, you know, our, our guys or, or clients or even just athletes in general, we try to educate them to, to try to be, honestly, models, role models to say, we're that now. You know, Ellis and I are living a better life than we lived when we played. And, I haven't and played. it's not beyond your means. And it's not no, beyond our means. It's not beyond you your to, means. And, and Michael put it this way at one point. Like, uh, when I first came into the company, uh, he described me as a chain link. Yep. You know, you eventually have to become your own link. And you and, and I actually expanded. Like, you have to make grown man decisions. Like, I have on right now a uh, presidential gold Rolex. I've had many other watches beyond this. This watch, by far, is with the diamonds and everything else I've had. This watch has way more value than anything else I've had, and and I've and I've educated myself and humbled myself to understand that you know you don't have to have everything at the same time, and, 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 <laughs> right. and, like four Bengal tigers, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the things that the, 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 by being disciplined by by having these things, I've been able to present myself with the opportunity of if I ever needed or became in a pinch to get rid of this watch, I can get all those things back. Maybe not all at once, but with right. this Rolex or whatever to value and things. So as you continually grow, and that's the other bit, the benefit of, of, of what we do, is I was afforded the opportunity to be around other people that I saw that had way more money than I did, way more success, and didn't look nothing like me. Didn't wear anything I did, didn't try to flaunt it like I did. And I'm the owners of huge, successful Fortune 500 companies. And I'm like, man, like... Like I'm, there's a gap here. Like what's going on? Right. And so when you get these athletes around these guys, and like somehow, like I'm not saying that it should just automatically click, but something should feel like it's missing. You and, don't want your clients going broke. Yeah. Spending. So, you but, don't want to spend their money. You don't want to spend them into the ground. Yeah. And so we, we spent a lot of time and effort in the beginning of, of trying to force feed guys, but then at the same time we started to realize like hey, some guys just don't want to be fed. You can bring the so, horse to water, but you cannot yeah, make some them guys, drink. They, they, they just want, I actually heard, I think from Michael, a financial advisor, said that like, some guys actually want to be wrong. Like they, they, they are way more comfortable in being wrong and not being exposed than to humbling themselves and saying, you know what, I need to learn more. And to be truth be told, those guys we're not necessarily looking for. I'd rather not have your dollar. I'd rather not have anything to do with you because all you're going to do is create a toxic environment of guys of ignorance and thinking that this is okay. But the, the one percenters, less is more. Less is sure. more to where we get those one or two guys who actually get it, and the strength is in them, and it creates more positive vibe and more positive energy and so on. So, you know, what? and I speak personally for myself, I've gotten out of that business. The, the philanthropic of trying to save everybody, I've gotten out of that business. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But you yourself understand it. Yeah, and you might, and like I said, incorporate it. Yeah, if, if I had to go back with myself, and myself was talking to me, I want him to say the same thing. Like, yeah, man, like, this decision has to be on you. It's not the most glorious thing. It's not the most gaudy thing. It's not going to be the most popular decision you make. But the the decisions that you make right now to, yeah, dumb that down. You don't need all that. You know, hey, why not do this instead of this? Don't buy the tigers. You know, buy the monkey. <laughs> right. You know, or something like whatever it Perhaps is. Perhaps a Labrador retriever would yeah, be better yeah, than a tiger. Like that. Yo, yeah, I get it. It feels a little unsecure, insecure right now. <laughs> Live in that for a little bit. See how that feels and learn. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm taking that guy every day now. Right. You know, Monday quarterback, but I'm taking that guy every day. So I have, I guess I have one more question. It's the same question for each of you. Sure. Um, and then we will 
take a very short break and then transition to some some football talk. Okay. Um, and the question is this: You're both obviously successful entrepreneurs. Um, what is your one piece of advice for the entrepreneur that might be listening to this podcast? And each one of you to answer individually. Well, well, first off, I Go think ahead, success is is on multiple levels. You know, where, wherever you want to be as an entrepreneur. Um, but the one thing that I would say is continually read the story, because the one thing that, that well, not the one thing. Um, what they do not tell you about being an entrepreneur is the dark moments. You know, you always hear about the success and you hear about if you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. So So true. It's not a straight line. It's not even a wavy line. It's backwards, (laughs) forwards, right, left. All of a sudden a play happens. Boom. You get a, you know, first down. I'm talking in football now. And all of a sudden you get two holding penalties. You're back 20 yards. And it's like, man, what the hell? Like, I I can't seem to get a foothold on this thing. But as you continually read the story, and, and Michael and I used to joke about this, where sometimes you have your head so buried in the sand that you can't actually see the progression that you've made. And so uh, we we constantly have to remind ourselves of like, man, listen to the conversations we're having now versus what we had two years ago. And uh, he said it to you earlier, and I think now it comes full circle, new problems, where back then we were talking about the same problem this and that. Now we're talking about, like, man, the Maserati battery got to get changed. <laughs> and so, yeah, like, man. Aww. And so you talk about two years ago, it's like, man, like, Look at the conversation we're having. Not to say that every day is an upbeat day, but it's perspective. It literally is perspective in things. Or you're like, you know what, man? I only made $1,500 a day in a matter of 30 minutes. <laughs> right. And so it's like, man, like, what are we talking about? And so when you continually read that story or you have that opportunity, once again, 48 Laws of Power, if you haven't got that hint yet, the book is amazing. Michael actually hinted that to me. Um, being able to take that breath and saying, man, look at the journey we've been on. And reading that story, and, and, and it's the greatest feeling in the world to know that I'm 34 years old, Michael's 40. There's so much life ahead. You know, if we continue down this path, it's not the most glorious-looking path, but it, it, there's a sense of comfortability within yourself and a sense of, man, whatever it is, it's right. It's right. And I get it, fast money, sports money, you know, whatever it is, and, and by all means, go after it when it's there. But, man, I'm looking for sustainability. And, 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 and throughout that journey, that sustainability continually grow, the growth of it. So, yeah, just keep reading the story and continually push forward. Michael, one adv- your, advice, your one piece of advice for entrepreneurs? My biggest advice is believe in yourself. You know, Ellis tells this story all the time that, that, that resonates with me in regards to, you know, him being at a stadium and taking a knee. And, and, you know, during a, a TV timeout and, and looking up in the, in the suites box and, and having corporate executives and, and, and owners and CEOs having a great time. And he's like, man, one day I want to be I want to be them. I want to be one of them. Right. And, and I, I felt the same way where I'm like, man, you know what? It's about legacy. And I'm like, I, I want to be able to leave a legacy not only for myself, but be able to create a platform to employ others and, and, and enrich others and change lives and obviously make money, you know, as well. And, and that's, that comes with believing in yourself, but then also not having false belief. Like I said, read the story. and you Self-awareness. Know, self-awareness. Understanding how, when, when to pivot, right? You know, and if that, if that business is not turning over in, in, in you know, 36 months, you gotta you gotta reassess. You know, is it a hobby? 
is some people confuse hobbies with a, with a, with a, with it. That's such a good point. With with a business, is this a hobby? Are you making money? You know, we talk about it all the time. It's, it's a common phrase. If it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. People don't understand that. If if if, if there's an entrepreneur out there right now that's churning. 12 hours, 18 hour days, and you guys are not eventually seeing a profit. I can have my six year old son and Ellis's eight year old son stand in front of your building right now with a lemonade stand, and they have a more successful business than you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, just, you know, just always understanding where you are, where you're headed, failing forward, believing in yourself, but then also having self awareness as well. Well said. I want to thank Michael and Ellis for joining us today. Um, hope everybody enjoys their Thanksgiving. I think this was a fascinating, fascinating interview. So I hope um, for all of you business owners and entrepreneurs out there, you were, able, you were able to get something out of this. And for all of you sports fans, I hope you got some insight into um, the NFL, the transition from uh, NFL player to business owner. Uh, thank you again to Michael and Ellis. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. Make sure you eat lots of food and we will talk to you again next week. Have a good holiday, everybody.